Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hi, I'm Alex Grodnick, and you're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today we have a story about following your passions and putting yourself out there. I think we all get so nervous about taking risks and uncertainty that we often choose the safe path. Our guest today does not share that way of thinking. He goes out in the world and takes what he wants. If you want to get what you want in the world, stop procrastinating and go make it happen. Maybe the Wall Street Oasis Investment Baking Course is exactly what you need to get your start. It's got everything you'll need to know to get up to speed on what banking is, how it works, and what you need to do to crush interviews and get the job. If you check it out, make sure you say podcast is where you heard about it. Okay, enough for me. Raleigh, let's get into it. All right, Raleigh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me, Alex. Okay, let's just jump right into it. You're a very interesting guy. You've been on tons of podcasts. Tell us why you're so interesting. Thanks. Um, well, I used to work on Wall Street as a bond trader, and I, I was working there after college. I had been a wrestler my whole life. Um, since I was a kid, I was wrestling at a, a very high level. And, you know, I always kind of missed it. And one day I took a trip down to Peru when I was um when I was working and I connected with the MMA team down there and mixed martial arts like uh cage fighting and you know they gave me an offer to come down there and, and train and compete based on my wrestling background. And a few months later I, I quit my job and I moved down there. So it was a it was a huge change for me. Uh yeah I would I would say I would say so. So where'd you go to school? When was this? You know, how'd you get into Wall Street? Let's okay, so yeah, I went to the uh, University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School, and I studied finance there. And, you know, I'd always been really passionate about finance since I was a kid. You know, I always studied it. It was following the stock market. And, um, and because of wrestling, I was, you know, recruited to a lot of uh, top schools. And I really a big factor for me was the the finance program at Penn. And so, you know, it was something that I, I was always really passionate about. And I always knew that I was going to go work on Wall Street. And when I was there, I interned almost every summer um, at, a, at a bank. And through the, you know, alumni connections, I was able to, to get a job up in New York. And, you know, I, I really committed myself to it. It, it wasn't just some default um career path you know it was something that 
I was really interested in and I, I committed myself, you know, hundred percent to this job. Yeah. The competition I mean, getting into wall street, a trading firm, it's, it's intense. You're not going to just, even if you go to Wharton, you're not just going to find your way into it. You still got to put in the effort and prepare for these interviews and show that you're truly interested in it. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, I think that, um, because I was always so passionate about it, it came through when, um, when talking to alumni and things like that. And so they were, they were very helpful for me. Cool. So you graduate from Penn and you're, and what bank did you go work for? Uh, RBC. Okay. So you're on RBC on a trading desk there, trading some kind of bond. Yeah. So it was actually, they had, um, a division there called GAT. It's not there anymore, but, um, it was a, a the buy side arm of the um, of the branch, so we were managing you know the, the the bank's money and actually investing it. So we were actually buy side desk, and um, I was trading corporate bonds. And it was a really small team with a you know a lot of money we were investing. So it was uh, I was able to kind of jump in right away, and it was really amazing opportunity for me. Um, granted, there was you know a small team, part of a larger group of of, of Gap, but what we were the, the investment grade corporate bonds we were trading was a a small team and my boss was really great and encouraging me to just jump right in right away and I was able to get some amazing experiences. Yeah, that's like the prop trading desks of these firms that kind of went away with Dodd-Frank. Yeah, um, so that was actually, it. this was one of the last kind of big ones and actually since then it's gone away as well. Yeah, so how long were you there for? Uh, two years. But I had interned there for two summers during college as well. Right. So you got the feel of of, of what it was, and and how did you find it? Was it was it good for you? Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience. Like it was, um, a lot of people, you know, asked me, "Oh, was it like boring, or was it? Oh, is that why you left? Was it boring?" And I'm like, "No, it actually wasn't boring at all. That's one thing that you, uh, you, yeah, I couldn't fault the job for. So, uh, yeah, it was really intense all day. I mean, we we're trading a lot of bonds and. You know, I was on the phone all day. It felt like I didn't put the phone down a lot of days. And, you know, you're, you're doing really um, high pressure, uh, big, big trades. And, you know, for, especially for a, a younger guy um, coming in right away, it was, uh, was nerve wracking a lot of days. It was really, you know, and I was able to, like, jump right into it. And it was, uh, uh, we were a very close team. There were just three of us working on this desk. And so, um, you know, we were just, like, all day shouting across the room and, and um, and on the phones, and it was really it was it was a cool little team we had. Yeah, it's it sounds like it. And Raleigh, I, I don't know that any job on Wall Street really prepares you for uh, a career in MMA. But <laughs> if, if one did trading, what you're talking about, fast paced, high pressure, if there there are some some similarities. Yeah, like a big one that I I like to always point out is I remember early on my boss saying to me like. He said, you know, stay as close to the revenue as possible. And, you know, what he meant by that was like, you know, you want to be the trader out there on the front lines, doing the trades, you know, jumping in, getting your hands dirty, things like that, as opposed to like, you know, I could have, I was kind of migrating towards a more like administrative thing. And he was like, no, no, get out there and, and, and do that stuff. Just jump in to the, the, the deep end there. And, um, in, when I went to MMA, like, I, my coach down in, in Peru had like a very similar mentality. He was like, you know, I, I'd been down there for 21 days and he goes, uh, you're going to fight your first amateur fight today. And I was like, what? And he was like, 
yeah, yeah, just you're ready. You go out there. And so he had, a, he had a similar mentality of just like jumping in the deep end and no excuses, holding you back and just go get the best experience you can. And by, by having these difficult experiences, you'll grow and you'll, you'll learn. And that's the only way to prepare yourself. You know, you can prepare, prepare for months, but, you know, actually doing it is the best way to do it. And I think that is a huge similarity that I saw between MMA and Wall Street. Yeah, I love that metaphor just putting yourself out there in life kind of faking it till you make it kind of approach yeah i mean it's easy to kind of like i think when you're young on a trading desk like you can it's scary sometimes these these phones are ringing and the you know trades are getting done around you and you want to kind of hide away sometimes and like let's say someone asks you for an opinion on something you know you you're like uh (laughs) But you know you gotta you want to have an opinion. You want to like actually do do your homework and have an opinion and put your neck out there a little bit. And that's that's important on trading desk and in MMA and in life. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into the transition. So you're doing the job and what you took a vacation to Peru or you quit the job and then went to Peru. How'd that work? So I went on vacation to go visit a friend of mine who was on my college wrestling team, a guy named Ben Ryder. And after college, he went down to Peru to work for an educational charity down there and he started fighting MMA he kind of got pulled into it and he became this like national champion down there he's a legend in Peru it's crazy he's on TV all the time he's like people stop him on the streets and ask for his autograph so I was down there I was like walking with him people were stopping on the street asking for his autograph I was like what happened to you <laughs> and uh and so yeah like he became this like legend down there and so I trained with his team and all this stuff. He married a Peruvian. He's been down. He had been down there for like four years or something, and uh, so I was just like really kind of taken in by this different world. And I went and trained with them, and you know I wrestled with his coach. And I, like I said, they they saw the level of wrestling because the United States is a much higher level than they do down in South America, and um, it's an important component for MMA. So they were like, "Oh, you have to come down here." And at the time, I was like. That's crazy. I, I can't do that. Like, I have a good job. Like, you know, my, my rational mind, I was like, no way that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, it, it kind of like they were really insistent. And then, like, I got back and I was kind of sitting at my desk and I, it just kind of like kept eating at me. Like, it was this little voice in my back of the head and just kept growing and growing. And I said, you know what? Like, maybe I should do this. And I kind of thought, there's only one time in my life when I can do something this stupid and without like, as many consequences you know i don't have a family to support and i saw a lot of older guys that kind of had nurtured some dream like this maybe not this crazy but a different flavor of this uh for like so many years and i thought you know i don't want to let 20 years pass and talk about that time i thought about moving to peru and so i just went and i booked a one-way flight down there for a few months from then and that was it uh, and so what'd you tell your, what'd you tell RBC? I, t- I told them, I went and I told my boss that, uh, that's what I was going to do. And he was, you know, he was, I, I guess the best way to put it is concerned for me. He wasn't like angry or anything. He was just like, he was like, don't do this. He was like, what do you, you know, I, I don't want you to throw your career away. And, uh, it was almost like paternal. It was like, um, you know, he started talking me out of it, and I was like, "Listen, I already have the flight. I'm, I'm gonna go do this. There's, there's no stopping me." And, and like I said, I think a lot of people they like looked at me like they were like really concerned. Like I think, I think a lot of them thought that I just like 
blew a fuse and like went went off the deep end and went crazy. So uh, it was uh, it was interesting. I had to, you know, a lot of my family and friends as well. My parents were really upset, and um, it was it was a very difficult decision. I had to really keep it together, and I I had to remove all doubts from my mind because I knew that everyone else had so many doubts that you know I needed to I needed to be sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about like what happens. You get down there and you start training with the team. Do you have second thoughts? Like, are you happy right away? How does it go? Well, um, like I said, I kind of blocked out all the second thoughts. I like didn't allow myself to have second thoughts. I just said, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to commit to it 100%. I went down and I started training three times a day. We were um, we were actually getting sponsored by this this team. And like part of that, we had to practice mandatory practices. So it was like it was a job, and um, we, you know, like right away I was like, right in the in the fold, and I, I like I said, I fought twenty one days after arriving down there, and yeah, I had a few moments where like right before a fight, I was like, what am I doing? Oh my god, like panicky kind of moments like that. But um, you know, in the whole, I, I never really looked back. I I I really tried to like look at it as an adventure, and even though there were a lot of obstacles and it was super difficult to adjust to that in every way um i i really said you know every every new little thing that comes at me is is an obstacle and is a you know isn't an opportunity to learn yeah and so i mean 21 days you had to learn a completely new style of fighting i mean i'm sure you you got this like you know great background um you know i went to lehigh so i know about wrestling pretty well uh, yeah, yeah yeah um but MMA, I mean, this involves punching and kicking. And uh, so how did you f- adjust to that? Yeah, I mean, right away, I started working on boxing down there. And actually, before I left, I did train a little bit of boxing at Church Street Boxing Gym down. In, it's down by Wall Street. Um, and, you know, I'd go there like twice a week, but only for like a month or two. And um, but it was a whole new sport for me. And actually, like, you know, defending yourself and, and punching someone was totally new and getting punched in the face. I remember like, one of my um, first days down there, my coach like brought over this like little kid to like spar with me. And he was just like, you're going to like box with them. I was like, 100% full boxing. And he was like, yeah, I was like, I don't really know how to do this. And he was like, you'll be all right. I remember this little kid he was like 16 years old and he just punched me in the face like really hard. And I, I saw stars and everything. And I was like, what is this? So maybe that was one of those moments where I was like, what am I doing? Um... And it was kind of a, it was a wake up call and it was a reminder. It was a humbling thing. Like, you know, everyone always says like, oh, it was a humbling experience. Usually when they're like bragging about something else, but like, you know, you go down to Peru and get punched in the face by a 16 year old. That's a humbling experience. Yeah. Leaving a prestigious job on wall street, going to a third world country and getting punched by someone half your age. Yeah, uh, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, that's pretty funny. yeah, your job definitely did not prepare you to take punches, but that's this was your background. Like you knew about wrestling, and you started to learn a little bit about boxing. And so, how'd that first fight? Did you win? Did you lose? Yeah, so I won the first fight. I got punched really badly in the, and not really badly, but I got punched in the mouth. Had a big like blood all over my face and big fat lip afterwards. And I remember like when I walked off the the mat, it was a, uh, you know, or the, the the cage rather. When I walked out of the cage, my teammate came over to like towel my face off because there was blood. And I was like, no, 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 don't towel it off. I want to look tough in the pictures, but I was like really excited. I was like, this is awesome. I just got punched in the face. Um, and so that was cool. It made it like, as I had that, when I had that fight, I, I won that fight. Um, 
and I won my next amateur fight like a month later. And um, like, it was really cool once I started to actually do that because it made it more real. Because I think when I quit, a lot of people just didn't really know what I was doing. And they were like, he's just going off to like, I think they just thought I was going to go train something and like, not, you know, I guess when I, when I actually had the fights and they were like, they were on YouTube and everything, like people back home, like saw them and were like, oh, that's what he's doing. And it made it more real for them. And they started kind of following my story a little bit more. And as I was writing the blog, like people, people that had initially doubted me, like there were a lot of people that I said, like said that I was making a huge mistake and was so stupid. They started watching these fights and, and reading my blog and they were like, oh, wow, this is cool. And they kind of became fans. And it was really satisfying for me to see that change. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure the cost of living down there was basically nothing compared to New York. But how, how are you supporting yourself? Did you save some money? Or were you making any money? So it was a combination of both. Um, we were being, I told you, we were being paid by this gym. They had this like really rich benefactor. I mean, the guy like, he didn't make any money off of it. He just threw a lot of money at this team. And so they paid us a salary to just train. Like I said, all you do is show up three times a day, whatever. But, you know, they would fire a guy once in a while. Um, and then also from our fights, we would make money. You know, again, not a lot of money by, by any means. But, like, down there, the cost of living was so low. And we were living. We had a free living situation. We'd live in the back of the gym. They would cook us. We had a chef at the gym who cooked us three meals a day for free. It was this like really weird setup where they had this really rich benefactor just wanted to have this amazing MMA team. And actually, um, you know, the coach is a, a legend down in Peru. And then, yes, I also had savings so I could live a little bit beyond that, those means. But um, yeah, like, I mean, it speaks to this, this small gym in Peru. There were five of us on the team. And it was me, this guy, Ben, who wound up fighting in Bellator, which is one of the biggest leagues in the world. Then two of the other guys now fight in the UFC, which is the biggest league in the world. So, like, the ratio of three out of five fighting in the big leagues is, like, insane for anywhere in the world. So they were – it was a really high-level team down there, actually. Yeah, it sounds like it. And so was that your plan to kind of graduate up from this to something bigger in the fighting world? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, you know, my coach used to always say, like, do you want to be a world champion? He would say it to each person on the team. And you'd obviously answer yes. And you say, good, if you don't, like, get out of the gym. And that was definitely our our goal from the beginning. You know, every one of us wanted to be a world champion. I definitely did. Like I said, I committed myself 100% to it. So that was what I was, I was trying to do at the time. Okay, so tell us how the, the, the Peru piece of the story ends. Like, how, do you, how long do you stay down there and what happens? So I was down there for a year. And um, at one point what happened was, I cut my finger really badly on a piece of glass um, and my whole finger swelled up. And so I had to cancel the fight that was like right after because I couldn't bend my finger. And then this weird thing happened where months passed and it didn't, I couldn't, it was like rigor mortis in my finger. Like it just wouldn't go down. And I saw these Peruvian doctors and, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like what you, I, I don't know, I guess doctors in Peru, none of them knew what it was. They were telling me, oh, you have to have surgery on your thing. They, take a tendon at your wrist and put it in. And I was like, Whoa, uh, <laughs> I don't know about all this. And so I, I couldn't fight for a really long time. And I was, I, I grew really anxious because it was like, this is what I'd given up everything for. And I came down to Peru to do this one thing and I can't do this thing. And I felt really useless. And, and this whole, there's a lot of things that happened. 
And um, I I started actually like uh, taking like a, abusing prescription drugs that they sell down there over the counter. And this is all my books. So <laughs> um, and I, I went through like a really, I, I, I started taking them. I was like, whoa, I, I shouldn't be taking these anymore. And I stopped and went through a really awful withdrawal period. And um, really, really terrible. I, I really suffered for a long time. I didn't sleep for three days in a row. Had all these, these really negative consequences. And at the same, so that was happening. At the same time, my finger was still bad. And then the gym lost its funding. So it was like these three things in a row happened. Like, and it was, and I'd met this girlfriend from England. And so it was like three things in a row, then that. And it was just like, this is, this is over kind of. And I, after having, like I said, suffered from this withdrawal, like I, I really, it, it messed with my mind for a long time. And I, I was just, I had this big realization. I was like, I'm getting punched in the head for a living. And, uh, you know, the, the long-term studies show that there's a, uh, you do a lot of damage and everything like that. And I realized just like, okay, this is not the answer for me. This is not like I, I wanted something else, but this going to fight in a cage in Peru was not the answer for me. And, um, and so, yeah, it was really tough at the time. It was really tough to swallow because I had so invested myself in this and committed to this. And it was a, it was a big pill to swallow. Yeah. I'll say, I mean, it's a unique experience, but, but, but yeah, probably not the right thing. So what happened next? So, um, I went to, I told you, I met an English girl and uh, my, you know, my girlfriend and I was going to try to move there and try to figure something out there. And so I went to visit her and I was at like her sister's wedding and went there for three weeks and it didn't work out between us, long story short. And so I wound up, I was like, well, I have two more weeks of my trip and, uh, I'm in, in Europe, I've never been here before. I was like, well, I'll just hop over to, to Paris. And uh, I went there and I was like, uh, you know, it's a city of love. It's like the worst place to go after a breakup. And it was, it was terrible. But uh, from there, I went down to Spain. And I just fell in love with Spain. And I, it was like the, the most amazing moment. I was just like, the second I was in Spain, backpacked around a little bit. And I was like, this is the most amazing country. I need to move here. So I started asking everyone I knew or everyone I'd met. How can I move here? How can I get a job here? And on my last day in Barcelona, my tour guide was like, hey, I heard about this program uh, that hires English teachers in Spain. So like, you know, maybe you could apply to it. I started applying that night. And like a few months later, I moved to Madrid. And I've been in Spain for two years now. Teaching English. Yes. And you, but I thought you're in Boston right now or you're in Spain? No, so, okay. So I'm back in Boston, but I, I was, I just got back. I was in Spain for, for two years. Okay. So you're in Spain for two years. Wow. That's, that's a cool, cool move. And so how was that? That was amazing. That was, so I'll say that was the best two years of my life without, um, blinking an eye. It was really, um, really, really amazing experience. I, I lived in Madrid for one year and in the Canary Islands and an island called Tenerife for the second year. And I was teaching English and it really is like one of the most important things I've done in my life. Like just the people that I've met and the experience that I've had. And I, I grew so much as a person during that time. Um, 
you know, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I really, I've, I was able to travel a lot around Europe and meet friends from all over and people that like, I'm so, so happy that I've met and have changed my life forever. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty incredible experience. So you're, you just moved back to Boston? Yes. And, and, and now what? Uh, I don't know now what I had a, what happened was I had a problem renewing my visa for this coming year. I was supposed to be in Barcelona for this coming year. And um, I, I, they were like, you have to go back to the United States and do it. And it was going to take a few months here. And at that point I said, you know what, if I'm going to spend a few months here, well, I'm just going to spend a few months here and see, uh, see what I want to do next. And so I, you know, I hadn't been home. I literally hadn't been home for over two years. And um, I, I haven't been home for Thanksgiving in like four years. And uh, so I was like, I'm, I, I want to go spend some time with, uh, you know, over the holidays with my family and everything like that, because I haven't had that in a while. And I was getting a little homesick for that. So here I am back here for the holidays and I'm trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. You know, you've had this, this life where you kind of just followed your dreams, put yourself out there, not been afraid to take risks, try new things. It's pretty different from, from most people who like get a job and then, you know, they never ever leave that job. So, you know, are you like, I would imagine that you're not too nervous about the next chapter of your life. What happens next? Where you go from here? You know, no, um, that's one big thing like that. This has, everything has taught me. It's like, you never know where you will wind up and, um, yeah, the uncertainty doesn't really bother me anymore. I mean, I've done so much. I always say that, like, when I moved to Spain, for instance, a lot of the other teachers in my program that I met were, um, they were like, oh, I'm so nervous. Uh, and I was like, I just got back from, like, cage fighting in Peru. And I was like, this is nothing. This is no problem at all. And so these experiences have really molded me and, and shaped me in that, like, I, I'm not, like, that was kind of the point. That's what I was looking for in the beginning. Like, I wanted to have these crazy experiences that would, make me give me so much perspective and that's exactly what's happened like i've I've, uh, i'm no longer really phased by you know things like uncertainty and um and it's like you know i'll I'll figure something out and i'm not not that worried about it yeah i mean that's a huge advantage blessing whatever you want to call it to be able to go through life just looking forward and being excited about what's next and not being worried and anxious and stressed yeah i mean um i i know that it's been amazing the other thing is that like i've just had such an amazing time that it's like no matter what happens um you know i'm I'm happy with that i've 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 really i feel fulfilled for lack of a better word and it's um it's taught me so many things i mean the other thing like a lot of people or not a lot of people, but if anyone ever said, you know, like, oh, you've been kind of wasting your time, whatever. It's like, in the meantime, I've, I've learned Spanish. You know, I've learned about so many different cultures. Um, I have friends. I have more friends from other countries than I do from America at this point. And, you know, all these different cultures have traveled all around. And so, yeah, if I want to do a job that has some kind of international component or whatever, I'm much more prepared for that. When I was in New York, I didn't know anything about any other cultures, like nothing. I mean, I... I, I couldn't even, you know, it's a stereotypical American thing, I guess, but, uh, you know, even like finding countries on a map or whatever and 
yeah, just I'm 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 almost embarrassed about how little I knew before I, I traveled. Yeah, I mean, this is what travel does. I guess you could think about you know these past three four years. It's kind of like grad school for you. It's been eye opening. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, I've learned Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanish, and like I didn't. I studied Italian in college, but like sometimes I meet someone that studied Spanish. Like that's what they majored in, and like I speak better than them, and I'm like, that's crazy. You paid you know, a lot of money to go to school to learn that. And I didn't, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a, yeah, it's really been an amazing educational experience. Yeah. So do you think you're going to get back into finance, do something close to that or, or who knows? Um, I don't think so. Not something in the same vein of finance, but maybe, you know, a different, a different component of it. Maybe something more like, like a startup or something like that, a smaller kind of place, different. Um, I think for me, it'd be hard to plug myself back into that, that New York City, you know, fast-paced, crazy trading culture. I think that just, you know, living abroad and having all these, you know, especially in Spain, I think it would be really hard for me to just jump right back into that. Yeah, yeah I think startup world might be, might be interesting for you. It's, it's what I'm doing now and talking about uh, adrenaline and focus. It's, it's all there in, in this world. So maybe that'll be your next adventure. Yeah. I mean, it is, that's kind of the, that's a really, I'm glad you used that word because that's what to me is, is important. And I think that people will say like, Oh, I want more adventure in their life. I have to travel. It's like, you don't have to travel to have adventure. You know, you don't have to like, you know, like you said, the startup is an adventure. Like it's, it's, you're taking risks and you're doing things and you have ownership over your, um, your work. And, um, there's, there's a lot of ways. I mean, you can just be adventurous in your everyday life. I mean, I think trading is adventurous too. It's, you know, it's a really, like I was saying before, it's, it can be scary and, um, yeah, it's a cool experience. Yeah. I guess just being outside of your comfort zone is some type of adventure. Yeah. You don't need to, Travel, exactly. to, travel to Peru or go live in Spain. It's you can do it in your yeah, own backyard. It's a, it's a mindset. It's not you know. And the other thing is like you can travel without being adventurous too. There are people that you can just fly to somewhere, take a bus to the Eiffel Tower, take a few pictures, go back to your hotel, go to a fancy dinner, get back on the bus, whatever, go fly back. Like that's not really adventurous to me, you know. Like, um, so I think you know it's important to separate those. The travel and adventure. I think people think that they automatically go hand in hand, but it's not. It's about, like you said, just stepping outside your comfort zone and doing something that, that you wouldn't do every day and makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. That's, you know, I just finished up uh, business school and that was kind of my entire approach for the two years. I wanted to, I said, become a new Alex and just see, I mean, I'm, I've discovered some, some new things. I'm still pretty similar. I think it's, it's not quite like going to live in a third world country, but <laughs> I, I tried to put myself out there and just like, if there was something I didn't want to do, I would look in, inside and be like, why don't I want to do this? Just go do it. It's, you don't want to do it. So you should do it. And so I did a lot of kind of soul searching like that. And uh, I think it was it's important. Yeah. 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 I, I think it was beneficial. I mean, I'm, I completely changed the trajectory of my life. You know, I was on this investment banking, corporate finance stuff. And now I'm, a startup making podcasts and and uh so yeah but i i think i'm on the on the better path for myself now yeah when someone makes you uncomfortable you have to and it's important to ask why like you said you know it's not just like something makes you uncomfortable you should automatically do it but like you know if it's if it's something that you're afraid of but it, it's going to be beneficial 
that you know like when there's that voice this is like no you can't do this like you know that should trigger something you should automatically you should want to do that um always always testing your your comfort zone and uh that's how you that's how you grow yeah that's right and uh i think that's awesome advice great way to leave it raleigh thanks so much for doing this thank you alex all right hope you enjoyed this one thanks for listening 